Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. Today's theme is going to be playing ace, king, in awkward and bloated pots. You'll have Coach Thomas to thank for the sexy name, the sexy title of this episode. And speaking of Coach Thomas, he's in the shop right now getting his motherboard repaired after falling to pieces last week trying to do the intro. He needs to you know, go through some rehab, learn how to speak again. So in his place, I have his coaching for profits student, John. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to take over for my coach while he goes to see a speech pathologist, get his act together. Tell the audience something about yourself. How did you and Thomas, how did that relationship start? Where did you begin and where are you at now? Well, I started... I used to play poker in my mid twenties. I'm 30 now. Uh, I made a return about two years ago. Uh, was playing 10 and L, uh, doing all right, just recreationally. And as I was doing well, I jumped up to 15 L, and I was like, kind of beating the stake, but I really wanted to just crush it. And so I lurked Reddit. And I found him some old comments that he had made. And I was like, this guy doesn't sound like an idiot. So I private messaged him and we, uh, I slid into his DMs as the kids say, you know, and I bagged him. I said, and we did a session together where he looked over some hands and I was like, this guy doesn't sound like an idiot corroborated the story. He wasn't catfishing me or anything. And, um, I told him, listen, I'm going to give you money. You're going to work with me and I want to be good. You know, because he he had showed me his database, his results at the time he was playing five five live in California, crushing it. And um, from there, through one on one coaching, I climbed up, started playing uh, live uh, home games like one two, was beating those, and we started crushing fifteen L. And eventually, we made the jump all the way up to two hundred in the span of like a year or so and as we all know COVID happened right I decided to take the leap from playing semi-professionally because at this time I was at 200 I was doing well I was truly supplementing my income through poker by working with him like he he like improved my game to a level that like I'm eternally grateful for I don't want to suit the kid up because we're friends you know what I mean he's gonna like boost up his ego if he hears this but honestly i could not have accomplished what i've accomplished in the span of time that i have without working with him just would not happen i do not even know comparatively how long it would have took me i don't want to know i'm just glad that me and him formed the relationship that we did and i I am where i am now and uh at the time my supplemental income playing semi-professionally that hourly rate and i had a decent sample size at this point was completely eclipsed my income in my job. And it turned into a kind of no brainer where it's like, what are we doing here? You know, I, I was an electrician and I got a call back to work order after the lockdown 
and you go back to work and my hourly was like great online. And I remember I was waking up at, um, at not even waking up. I went to work and I worked from seven to three 30 PM, take a train home, go to sleep, wake up at two in the morning when the games were most active play for four hours, then go to work. And like was doing that for a few weeks. And I was like, it just kept solidifying. Why am I getting up and going over here doing all this? This is just eating into my profits. You know what I mean? And I talked to the to, to Thomas about it and we worked out a CFP, a coaching for profits where I stopped paying an hourly and he saw it as a lucrative endeavor for him. Right. He's like, Hey, this kid's crushing it. I've been training for a long time. We have a good friendship. He's like, I trust the kid. And we just met each other halfway and we CFP and for X amount of time, you know how it works. He gets a percentage of me. We work 40 hours plus a month in coaching, which is like very intensive because sure it's the 40 hours that we work, but all the texting between cat memes and actual hand histories and me whining and whatnot. Like the dude is my life coach, you know, like it's more than just like poker coaching like this, like, cause it's all mental game at this point, jumping into full time. And this guy has definitely been somebody who has empathized and helped me transition into full-time pro. And right now, as it stands, I'm four months in to complete full-time, uh, acquired like supreme confidence, have the results to back it, uh, winning player 200 and now, like winning player 200 and now, which is absurd to me to think two years ago, would I be beating this game at this level? I like look at my bankroll and my life roll and I'm like, this is real. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is all, this is where I am living on my own and here. Everything is like poker, you know? Yeah. And I think it says a lot about you too, that Thomas would trust you to be able to pull off the full-time grind because I'm going to make it, make an assumption that Thomas is not just going to trust anybody to be able to transition to being a full-time poker player. He must've had a lot of belief in your ability, your mental game, to handle it and also a lot of confidence in his ability to coach, teach you and help you grow to the point to where your ability to play cards makes it to where you don't have to go to that seven to four job anymore, right? You can just sit down, play cards, improve, grow your win rate, move up stakes, increase your hourly. And um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great testimony to Thomas's, ability to coach and your ability to be a good student, listen to direction and just keep plugging away on, on a daily basis. So with that said, now let's jump into the theme of this tactical Tuesday, right? Ace King in awkward bloated pots. Thomas has been so generous to send me some hands to cover. Hand number one is a hand that he played at 510 live $1,500 effective. So a whale raises to $30. So 3x the blinds. An aggro European, three bets to $90. We four bet cold to $320 with ace king off from the small blind. The whale folds and the euro calls. We'll start there with Thomas's decision to cold four bet. What do you think, John? Seems optimal. I think cold calling is pretty gross. Uh, there could be mild merits to it with the whale, but two, I would think two things here. Um, we're aware of this, the description of the Euro player, right? He's going to be aggro. He's going to be aware of the whale. He's going to be targeting him with wide range and position, right? We need to punish that, right? 
So we need to be attacking this. We need to be forebetting this and not strictly with like our pure value. Obviously Ace King would be one of the candidates in pure value. So I think that we just need to get about a value forebet in here against this guy. And uh, one of the boons of that is the recreational could still just cold call the forebet, you know, with marginal hands, which happens plenty of the time. So I see no reason why we should just cold call this three bet. I think there's just too much value to be had and we need to start putting money in. I agree. And you mentioned not attacking the agro Euro with pure value. So what are some hands that you might cold four bet here on the, the bluff or lower equity end of the spectrum? Um, probably things with good blocking properties, right? Probably like the broadways of the world. Also Broadway's like, I don't think I'm going to consider like King queen offsuit as a pure value four bet against this guy because his continuance will probably be ahead of that. But the thing is that he's going to have a lot that he's going to have to throw, throw out the window. Right. Um, he might be throwing away some flips. So if we can get him, if we can deny some of that equity right there with the, with good blockers, I think that we're getting the job done against his strategy against the whale here. Yeah. And I don't really love the Euro sizing here versus a whale. I would think that instead of going 3x with your 3-bet in a live setting, you can size up there to maximize value versus the whale to 4x or 5x, find their threshold to where you can get value. So this sort of small 3-bet doesn't necessarily strike me as super strong. Um, But with that said, I agree. You really need to be cold 4-betting here with an ace and a king, and the whale does fold unfortunately, and then the aggressive European calls. So we head to a flop, the pot $650. And at this point we have about 1180 behind. So SPR is around two. The flop is seven, four deuce rainbow. And before we choose an action, what do you think the villains range looks like here? And how do you think we ought to be proceeding with $650 in the pot? I would think that the Villains continuance range here is going to be pretty capped, um, which is always going to be a good thing for us. So we have a lot of removal right away. We can discredit aces and kings, unless he's going to tarp, but we're going we're gonna to proceed mindfully in the context of not tarping. What does tarping mean? Oh, like trapping us with aces and whatnot. He'll do it some percentage of the time. Apologize for the that lingo that I'm throwing at the kids say. Trap just switching the R and the A. I'm gonna proceed as if he's not trapping us when I construct his range here, which is gonna give us a lot of advantage going into post flop. He's either capped out at queens or jacks, right? We can't distinguish where he is on his stack off range. He's a bit deeper, so he might be weighted into some more calls. Um, he's going to have some suited broadways. He's going to have some ace queen suited that he doesn't want to five bet in there, you know, but they can continue comfortably in position with the stack depth. Uh, so it's like some, some suited ace jack, ace queen, potentially not even five bet ace king, but I'm not entirely sure, but at some frequency, he'll have them in his five bet and his calling range here. I agree. He's likely to have like eights through jacks as well as it relates to pocket pairs. So he's got some over pairs there. He's got some suited broadways. He's got some ace king. We have a range advantage. Like you said, villain's range is likely capped because not, I wouldn't imagine they're going to be slow playing aces or kings here with a very high frequency. So we opt to bet and Thomas decides to go 
with a $160 bet, which is about 25% of the pot. What do you think of his choice of sizing here? I, I'd hate to use the cliche word, but it seems pretty standard of a sizing to use when we have this board and this range advantage against the opponent. Uh, we're going to be, we're playing against a reg. We want to use the balance strategy. We don't want to do any type of exploitative sizing. So no sort of telegraphing that he can read. So we're going to probably do this with our entire range here on this texture. So I see no reason why to deviate. So quarter pot seems like the right line here with our whole entire range. Yeah. This is a hand that actually me and Thomas went over in one of his coaching sessions with me. So I, I'm very familiar with the hand and the result and then his subsequent Pio studying and what the solver kind of told him eventually. And I would just say that like when you're, when you choose this 25% sizing, even though it is standard, one thing to, to bear in mind is that good players are going to perform pretty well against this size, this specific sizing over time, right? That they ought to be calling with a very high frequency with their overcards and backdoor flush draws. So I don't know that our opponent is going to be making a ton of mistakes. They're clearly not going to be folding any of their overpairs versus this sizing. So just something to bear in mind is like when, when Thomas chooses this sizing, it makes our opponent's continuing range very natural, which means that you've got to be prepared for subsequent streets. You need to have a good plan here when you decide to use this sizing in the first place. And with all that said, I'm, I'm kind of foreshadowing a little bit because Thomas back then, I don't think had <laughs> had a great plan of how to react versus the action that came his way. Our opponent decided to raise us to $500. So they have about 1200 total. They invest about half of their stack, raising us to 500. Thomas's comment here about the hand is we hate life and we hate life. I won't say what Thomas does, but I'll ask your opinion of this spot right now, John. What do we do facing this small raise size on the flop? I don't think I fold um, knowing that if we both have clairvoyance over each other's strategies, our opponent could be trying to uh, punish us here using our entire range because he has to raise it a decent frequency against the small sizings, right? Uh, so what are we defending here? If what, are, what does our range look like, right? King, queen, the bluffs, right? Ace, king, Queens, Kings, Aces, maybe Jacks, you know, like, are we just only continuing with the pairs? Is that, is that it? You know, maybe we don't need even to defend that often. Now that I construct, there's probably a few more bluffs in there as well that we can let go of. Right. But I think that the fact is think about the natural player incentives here, right. Of his range. He's sitting on eights through Jacks or eights through Queens. And we're taking this generic line of doing the range bet. Does he have a huge incentive when we have the range advantage and we have aces and kings in our range to start protecting into that range and start raising off eights, nines, tens, jacks? You know, we have to think about how he feels incentivized here to do that. So it just seems a bit premature, I think, to just let our hand go, given that I don't think he's incentivized to do that with the hands that we are behind against yeah i mean so if you look at it from a the mathematical perspective right like villain's raising to 500 he's risking 500 to win 
about 800. So his raise doesn't need to work all that often to be profitable. And if he does fold out all of our ace kings, our king queens, our suited broadways here, we're going to end up making his raise just kind of print money. And so we we have to prevent, um, we got to prevent him from printing money by folding too often here. And, you know, Thomas's price, it's $340 to call and there's, 1300 in the pot. So he's getting uh, four to one to directly continue here. He needs about 20% equity, which I would assume ace King, when you look at uh, villains range, the fact that villain does have some over pairs, but then also ace King's just going to be ahead of some of the hands villain chooses to raise with here. Right. We have enough raw equity to continue. And so continuing is in my mind, a must. And this is kind of where we're going to deviate from Thomas because Thomas in the moment folded. Um, and he said that folding feels horrible. And I remember going through this hand and just coming to the conclusion really quickly that it feels horrible for a reason because it probably is kind of horrible. We just can't fold ace king here in this specific spot versus this specific villain. And with that being the case, let's kind of play Nostradamus here and see like if we did flat and we do head to the turn with about 700 behind there's going to be about 1650 in the pot. So about a one third pot size bet left on this turn. What do we do if we just call the flop and the turn is a deuce and we check and villain rips? I'm going to say something about villain ripping. Villain ripping, and to go back to the player incentives here, it's not going to have a lot of air in there, right? Because the reason why is that he just raised flop and we continued. And he knows what our range looks like. If the villain's expectation is to be exploitative on the flop with a raise, right? And fold out the king, queens, and all the air portion of our range. When we call that raise, he's got to start to feel, given the, the SPR that he, he sees on the turn, he does a half-fold equity. So this is going to be massively valuated. And he'd be pretty good to maybe squeeze in a bluff there and find it, you know? Kudos to him for having some sort of balance but I don't even think that balance is going to matter in this context. Like kids going to get snapped off and he should know he's going to get snapped off very often. I agree. Like the path to victory here with ACE King almost looks like we call the flop, the turn goes check, check. And then we just check to get the showdown, right? Like that, that that's what the path to victory kind of looks like in my mind. Um, I do wonder like if we had aces, you know, are we going to be bet three bet bet three betting the flop? I don't think we are. I think that that's a hand that's incentivized to just call the flop. So like bet three betting on the flop doesn't make a ton of sense for, with our value range because like why let our opponent off the hook with some of their bluffs just in case, you know, we call the flop and they choose to jam the turn with like king queen off, right? It'd be kind of a shame to lose value versus villain's bluff range on the flop when we have aces. So I don't think we have a ton of, ton of incentive to bet rip the flop. So just calling and then taking it from there, likely folding to a shove on the turn, which doesn't feel great. But like you said, not a ton of incentive for villain to continue. Villain ought to know that like we have all the overpairs in our range here. We should be never folding <laughs> any any overpair in yeah. this spot versus any yeah. shove. So like villain realizing fold equity is going to be, you know, it's pretty slim, pretty slim opportunity to realize fold equity. So yeah, I, I think that like path to victory feels like calling the flop and then checking down 
hoping that our ace, ace king high is the best hand. We could also turn our ace king into a bluff to try to fold out like eights through tens on the river. I think that is a potential option. I believe that when Thomas node locked and went into Pio in this specific hand, that Pio just wanted us to be piling on the flop. I could see Pio saying that. I could see a three bet rip being warranted here. No, not a three bet rip, just a rip on the flop, like a two X SPR. We've worked this out. Yeah. These low boards to just over bet rip it. Cause then we get to realize, right? Exactly. We get to realize, and we don't open ourselves up to making a mistake. We have a range advantage. Yeah. We're pressing the range advantage. We can't make a, mis- a future mistake. And like eights or nines here is just feeling like utter trash. Sure. If this is how we structure our full range. Right. So we have to be careful that like, if we are ripping ace king 2x pot in this spot that we do maintain balance in the future and also rip like aces kings and queens and if you have some sort of meta going against this specific opponent and a similar spot has happened in the past where you show down and overpair, then i would be highly inclined to rip ace king here because they know that the threat of value is real and they don't know how you're structuring your strategy. Their only data point is that you show down an overpair. So like maybe you're only doing this with overpairs. They don't know. Puts them in a bind. That would be the way that I approach it if you are going to be using the PIO 2X SPR shove strategy here. Because it's really easy for our opponent to say like aces aren't incentivized to shove here, right? Like they're never overbet shoving aces. Oh, so, so we can do some removal and this is going to lead us to like calling more frequently with like our pocket nines or pocket tens. So you, you want to have that seed planted of the threat that you, you do have value here when you do rip it. Um, small anecdotes about this situation. Me and Thomas have worked on this during our CFB and I split into two lines here on these four textures that are low in these four bet situations um, where I will overbet jam aces and ace king. Let me just say in 200 and L, some people, they over defend against it because they're like, this kid can't be piling aces here. And I've had situations where I've ripped ace king and been called off by ace jack and be like, holy, like insane, insane spots. Um, just small microcosms of the situation. But what it feeds into is what you said, is the idea that there's that leveling that's like, where's his incentive to overbet jam the aces here? Because that looks unnatural. Because they always see people using the quarter skies, you know? And so there, it puts some of the situation where you do get to exploit that range advantage, where when you have aces, you're getting snapped off by nines and there's no card killing action. Exactly. And yeah, again, going back to what I said before about natural defenses, right? And playing well versus specific sizings. And I do think that like the 2X jam here, there's a lot of potential for people to play very poorly versus this bet sizing than you know the traditional 25% pot sizing. So always try to choose a strategy where your opponents don't really have a naturally great reaction to it because that opens the possibility that they make some critical mistakes. And um, with that being said, we're right after this jump, we're going to segue to hand number two against what Thomas has described as a super whale. I don't know if that's like a sci-fi original movie with um, a super well involved, but we're going to have ace king. So stick around after the jump. Don't miss hand number two. 
Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. Welcome back to hand number two in this Tactical Tuesday, playing Ace-King in Loaded Pots. Before we dive into hand number two, just wanted to mention that even though Terminator Thomas is in the shop getting a brand new motherboard and his wires put back together, if you did want to seek out some coaching from a dude that I trust, that the, the dude on the line with me right now, John Thomas is coaching for profits student trust. Absolutely took John from a 10 NL player up to 200 NL to where John quit his job and is now playing poker professionally. You can do so at chasingpokergreatness.com slash Thomas. That is coach Thomas's private coaching link. You can also join the VIP newsletter, hop into greatness village and send Thomas a private message there. So with that said, let's dive into hand numero dos. So this hand is a 200 no limit hand where $200 effective versus a super whale. I don't know if that's a cross between like a blue whale and some sort of dinosaur, but they're a super whale. They're running a 60% VPIP, 60% preflop raise, 50% three bet, and 5% fold versus three bet. So I guess Thomas's description is pretty on point. They are kind of like a, a mega Ultron whale there. They're getting involved, taking aggressive actions, playing tons of hands, and just never folding. It's a megalodon. Yeah, it's a megalodon. It's a rare breed that we thought was extinct, but is apparently alive and well in this player pool. They opened to $12 at 200 no limit under the gun, so a 6x raise. Maybe that is standard for this megalodon. I'm not sure. We three bet Ace King to $50 in middle position. What do you think of Thomas's sizing and action here, John? Perfect. It's the opposite of what the Euro reg did in the first hand that we criticized. We need to get value. The kid is opening wide. We have a value hand. We got to go large. We got to get greedy. He's indifferent. He's inelastic. This kid's just going to either rip it on us and we're going to snap him off doesn't make a difference that we use the sizing or he's going to call and we're going to shovel money in, you know, if we hit uh, or exploit his wide range, if we don't hit and do some shady things. But uh, I love the sizing. A lot of people will just stick to some conventional wisdom here. As I was talking to you on the break, I hate conventional poker wisdom. The guy's making it huge. Some people will shift into like, I got to make a smaller three bet size because he's making it big SPR, all that nerd stuff. When really it's whale, 
Megalodon is opening big. We have value. We make big three bet. He call, we stack, right? Easy game. It's simple. Don't overthink it. Don't add additional complexity when playing against this player archetype. Let's just get as much money as we possibly can into the middle when we have a big range advantage. And that's just going to make money over the long run, right? You can't go wrong by doing that over and over and over and over again. So Thomas, three bets to 50. The whale calls. I know that that would be shocking if the whale did anything other than call. They call. There's $100 in the pot. The flop is 9-6 Trey Rainbow. The whale checks. And before we get into what Thomas did, I want to give get you know get your thoughts on this situation. What would you do here? There's two routes, and one I think is better than the other. And neither of them are check. I'm not checking. Uh, you can try to use a small sizing here, but it just gets very awkward for you uh, because of the fact that we have this massive pot on the flop. We have an SPR of 1.5 to 1. I really think we just have one strategy here and it's all in or not all in. And I have ace king and I'm ahead of range. And if he calls us off, he can call us off of worse. And if he calls us off of better, we're going to realize anyways, right? We get the opportunity to realize. I just think there's just too much value here to be had. It's a very easy game. And I think we just rip here with ace king. Yeah. So Thomas chose to rip. And so that's sort of the alternative route is to choose a small sizing and I'm going to disagree with both you and Thomas in this spot. Ace King to me is too strong versus this specific archetype and is doing too well against this villain. Like this villain is born to take aggressive actions. This villain is born to want to stick their money in the middle and try to outmuscle us to win the pot. And so against this specific guy, I want to play directly into his weakness, which is taking too many aggressive actions, playing way too many hands. I don't know that they fold a hand like 6-7, right? If they flop middle pair, I don't think we're going to realize fold equity versus middle pair here. So the reality is, like, I want to get max value from all the worst hands that Villain has here. I want to put out a little bit of bait for our Megalodon, drop a little chum in the water, choose about a $22 sizing, just something very, very small, hoping that they pounce and stick the money in. And like, I'm never folding here. Like I'm never folding is not an option. I'm just trying to get this opponent to stick their money in with as wide a range as they possibly can. And that's the route that I would typically take. You know, when you want, when you're looking at calling off with a bluff catcher versus a villain, you want them to put the last bet in, right? You typically want your opponent to be putting the last bet in because they can bluff, right? They, they can't just call with a bluff, right? They're going to call with a hand that typically has good equity against Ace King. Even if they have 7-8, um, that's a straight draw, that's still going to be like 14 outs. Maybe they call with like Ace Jack or Ace Queen, but there's nothing in the rule book that says if we bet $20, they're still not going to rip it in with Ace Jack and Ace Queen anyway. Great point. I think it's pretty awesome though. <laughs> we rip Ace King here. I mean, we start getting called off by some King Highs. I'm just saying we can get value. But what ends up happening is you're absolutely right, is that if we use this tiny sizing, the ego is going to come into play versus these small sizings. This is what wrecks do that are aggressive when they see these small sizings. They tend to raise them at high frequencies. And then if, you're, if he's the player type and matches up with the profile that we think he had, he's going to probably use his whole range here to rip into us. You know what I mean? So what ends up happening is in a, a world where he's going to call off with six, seven, the world where he's going to call off with all his ace highs and king highs, 
maybe if we jam, we start holding out the queen highs in his range, right? And, and the jack highs in his range. And that's a problem, right? When he can rip in the rest of that, like we're leaving money on the table. So I have been persuaded. I saw a lot of value in ripping and it just seemed to like just simplify my strategy. But I think that you're right. The exploit here is just to take his whole range, let it all bluff and then just snap off instantly ahead vast majority of the time. And if we're not ahead, we're not stressing it too much. You want to play into the nature of the archetype of the villain that you're playing against. This guy, likely to take aggressive actions, be maniacal, going to fall victim to the sunken cost fallacy where it's like, well, I've invested $50 and they only bet 20. So like I can rip it and take down this $120 pot. And like, that's a big win for me, right? They're chasing after money that they've already invested in the pot with a hand like queen 10, you know, or king 10 or king jack, like getting those hands to shovel the money in is just such a big win. And we play into the nature of this specific opponent who's a volatile degenerate type of type of whale. Um, if the villain is passive, then maybe we choose a different strategy or maybe we don't, right? Maybe there's still value in betting small and they perform very poorly. So like just taking into consideration the villain that you're playing against and what you're trying to achieve here for me, Ace King looks like the nuts. I'm looking at Ace King like it's just gold and printing money. And so with that in mind, I just want to figure out how can I get villain to put the last bet in with their entire range so that I don't miss out on any value? Because like I said, they're not going to fold 9x, right? Like if we bet small and they rip and we call and they have 8-9, well, they're calling all in versus the rip anyway. So like that just evens out. There's nothing you can do. I want to get value from like queen jack high, right? And queen 10 high. Those are the hands that like them folding out jack 10 here. I don't want them to fold out jack 10. Right. Like I want them to put the money in and let's let's just go for it. So yeah, I, I do disagree with Thomas's jam here, play into the nature of the opponents. He can't defend himself, so it's a good time to disagree with him um, in this episode. And uh, John, these hands were really great. Your insight was super valuable. I would love to have you back on Chasing Poker Greatness in some capacity in the future. Thank you for your time and your energy, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's a good time. It's my pleasure. And tune in next week to Tactical Tuesday. Thomas in the shop. I'm sure that'll give him plenty of time to think of some interesting scenarios, review some interesting hands for next week. And I will catch you then.